so last week, we considered the question, how did Jesus read the Bible, or at least what would have been the Bible of the time? And I suggested that uh, as a Christian, one of the most important questions, at least from my perspective, that I think that you can ask about any biblical topic or theme or event is how did Jesus interpret it and how did Jesus then incarnate it or how did he live it? And so we talked a bit about how Jesus wasn't usurping scripture, he wasn't throwing out scripture, rather he was really challenging people to kind of rethink how they read and how they live it. And so we talked a bit about interpretation, we talked a little bit about uh, incarnation, and this week uh, we're going to talk a bit about invitation. And so in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, we read Jesus saying this to his disciples, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What does that mean? What's, what's Jesus talking about here? So, binding and loosing were essentially uh, terms that were a bit about interpretation. It was another way of kind of saying, and we talked about this last week, another way of saying abolishing and fulfilling. Binding and loosing, abolishing and fulfilling, for, or kind of forbidding and permitting. And then... Uh, Jesus kind of says a lot of these things. In John chapter 20, we read Jesus saying something kind of similar. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And I don't know about you, but we're not kind of always sure what to do with these verses. It's a bit fluid and it's a bit permissive and it's a bit uncertain and it's a bit open and it's a bit trusting and it's not particularly black and white. There's a lot of whatevers and a lot of ifs. It's whatever you bind and loose, whatever you don't forgive or do forgive, whatever you permit or whatever you forbid. And so there's, there's a lot of gray in there. And so my understanding of what Jesus is saying here is that he's essentially telling his followers that it's their turn. It's their turn to make decisions about what's written in scripture and how you live it. He's, he's saying, Okay, you've watched me do it. You've watched me live it. Now it's your turn. Figure it out. Figure out what it means to incarnate scripture. Figure out what it means to uh, put flesh and blood on it. Figure out uh, what it means in your place, in your time, in your world, in your context. Figure it out and then live it. But keep engaging and keep discussing and, and keep wrestling with it and keep interpreting and, and keep considering and, and keep dancing with it, but live it. Be willing to get it wrong, but live it. Consider it again, and then consider it some more, but live it. And so what we kind of see then play out in the New Testament, if we kind of have this lens, is this scenarios time and time again where the first church and the first Christians are binding and loosing, they're discussing and debating, they're, they're wrestling and they're kind of working out what the divine looks like wherever they find themselves. We read them, uh, we read them arguing with each other, we read them trying to work through issues, we read them trying to uh, work out what the best way is to approach a, a particular circumstance, and they're continually adapting and they're continually responding. And then we read things like uh, in the book of Acts where Peter falls into a trance, he sees a vision, 
And he hears this voice say to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's first response is to protest loudly and vehemently. He says something along the lines of, no way, Jose. Nothing has ever crossed these lips that is unclean or impure. I only eat organic whole foods that have been rinsed in the waters from the first rains of Mount Everest. Okay, he didn't quite say that, but that's kind of my read of it. I'm, I'm trying to contemporize it. But he's basically saying, I can't eat that stuff. I've never eaten that stuff. I've been raised with the Torah. I've been raised with scripture and I grew up where we're never allowed to eat that stuff. It's wrong. It's impure. It's unclean. And the voice then responds in his trance, in his vision, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. Three times Peter kind of refuses and the vision ends and then he's kind of left trying to make sense of what happened. So Peter was deeply committed to scripture. He was deeply committed to all of that. He was living and breathing Jesus and he was avoiding impurity and he understood God to be holy and to be pure and he kind of organized his life around that. And in the same way that you wouldn't touch a dead animal, you also wouldn't touch someone who was considered unclean and you wouldn't actually even go into the house of someone who was considered unclean, which essentially meant anyone who wasn't Jewish. And so as soon as Peter's trance is over, there's a knock at the door. And it's some Romans, who for Peter are like the ultimate in unclean. No, no offense to the Romans in the room. Asking, <laughs> asking if he'll come with them to their leader's house. And so he agrees to go with them. And when he gets there, he basically tells them that it's against the laws of his people for him to enter that house. But... Then he says, God has shown me that I should no longer call anyone impure or unclean, which is pretty progressive, don't you think? It's, it's essentially, there's been an intervention in Peter's life, and this intervention has caused Peter to completely rethink how he interprets and how he incarnates Scripture. He had a very clear framework, he had a very clear paradigm, he had a very clear way of seeing and relating to the world, and this was grounded in his understanding of scripture and who God is and what it means to follow God. And kind of central to this understanding is this conviction that some people are clean and some people are unclean and some food is clean and some food is unclean and you can't go over to some people's houses but you can go over to other people's houses. And then he has this experience that doesn't fit within that framework. And his first reaction to that experience is a perfectly human one. It's like, no way. It's, it's almost kind of this get behind me moment. Get, get behind me. I've never eaten anything unclean. He, he resists that new understanding. And the basis for this resistance is fascinating. The basis for his resistance to this new understanding is his own religious convictions, his own interpretation of scripture. So in the trance, this voice says, eat it all. And he argues with God essentially about why he can't eat it all. And so his argument is based on his devotion to God, is based on his devotion to scripture. He essentially resists God in the name of God. 
And so I think this is quite profound for me anyway. I've, I've found in my own life, and I think it's very evident in Peter's experience here too, that it's absolutely possible to resist the very growth and the very change that God desires for me because I have this very clear way of seeing the world. I have a framework and I have paradigms and I have convictions and they're often grounded in seemingly very good things. And what happens is that I'm challenged with something but I kind of then resist God in the name of God. And yes, it's a natural response because what we think we know and who we think we know it's about is being challenged so fundamentally that suddenly we're faced with this new understanding and it's like the carpet is kind of being pulled out from underneath us. It's, it's something that brings freedom and it's something that brings inclusion, but it also brings this complexity because previously Peter couldn't eat it all, but now he's free to eat it all. And previously he had this system of categorizing how he was to kind of to live his life, who's clean, who's unclean, but now everyone's included. And previously it was kind of pretty black and white, it was pretty simple. All humanity could kind of be divided, clean, unclean. But now the people that he previously thought were unclean aren't. And so he had a choice. And I think we are often faced with this choice too in, in today's society and in today's conversations and, and in church life where we either ignore or we deny or we resist or we minimize our experience or we open ourselves up to it. Or we open ourselves up to this very real confusion and pain and uncertainty of kind of leaving that understanding behind. And yes, it can be exciting and liberating, but I think it can also be kind of traumatic. It's as though everything we've known has kind of gone blown up in our face. And so I kind of I read this and then I, then I imagine Peter engaging with that. And I imagine him stepping through the doorway of the Roman's house for the first time. Every single thing in his being, every single thing in his upbringing would have been telling him that he was jeopardizing his standing with God in doing that. And yet now, he's kind of seen and understood something new. And so he's allowed this understanding to profoundly change his life. He's allowed this understanding of how he viewed and related to people to completely change. And so he's essentially chosen to embrace freedom and inclusion and this new understanding. He's chosen not to resist God in the name of God. Is there something that you need to be set free from? Perhaps, and I know this for myself, you, you were handed a way of seeing the world. You were handed a way of understanding what it is that is going on around you. You were handed a way of reading the Bible, for example. And, and maybe that has been challenged and maybe that's been shaken, but maybe for very human good reasons, you're kind of struggling to let go of that. Or alternatively, and um, have friends like this as well, maybe you were raised in a world of logic and data and evidence, and, and those things are fantastic, but often we come up against experiences 
that don't fit that. They don't fit logic and they don't fit data. And so we don't necessarily know what to do when things don't fit into nice, neat categories. And so wherever people are coming from, I think increasingly uh, my encouragement is be open to the intervention. Be, be open to the disruptions. Because ultimately, as painful as it is, that's, that's how we grow. And it's those interruptions and it's those interventions and disruptions that I think lead to expansion and, and lead to freedom. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul's write, Paul writes this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And sometimes we allow the very purpose of Christ, I think, to be clouded by our limited understanding of Scripture such that it kind of holds us back. We essentially resist Jesus in the name of Jesus. But Jesus' call is to freedom and, and Jesus' call is to mercy and Jesus' call is to forgiveness and, and Jesus' call is to love. And so my hope is that these are the interventions in our lives. My hope is that the interventions in our lives are, are freedom and mercy and grace and forgiveness and love. That's my hope and that's my prayer. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into the conversation.